Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast for comedians of any variety. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Ladies and gentlemen, let's do this. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on iTunes and SoundCloud and leave a review. Follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at There It Is Pod. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes. You can head over to the website thereitispod.com to read blogs and find out how you can support the podcast which would be very much appreciated. Today I have a really good talk with stand-up comedian Dave Stone. You've seen him on Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson, Last Comic Standing, and he's appeared on Adult Swim. He's also performed at the Just for Last Festival and was a member of the group The Beards of Comedy. We talk about DIY touring, having what it takes to progress in your career, and his time living out of his van. Yes, Very good talk, very fun talk for any stand-ups who want to know what to do to pursue a professional career in comedy. Let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Dave Stone. So, Dave, where are you right now? Hey, buddy, I'm uh, at home in Los Angeles, California. uh, I've been living here about five years, so this is where I usually can be found when I'm not on the road. Yeah. Well, you got your start in the Atlanta area, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I started uh, in Atlanta and uh, came up through that scene. Spent about uh, about five years there before moving out here to L.A. So, yeah. And how long have you been in L.A.? Uh, about five years. Okay, so yeah, ten just, years of comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just shy of ten years. Wow, you got a lot of ground uh, covered in ten years. Yeah, trying to. Yeah, it's uh, it's always uh, it's it's always something to be uh, you know, lunging forward towards. One of the things you did early on in your career is your work with the Beards of Comedy. It was you and Joe Zimmerman, Andy Sanford, and T.J. Young, right? Yes, correct. How did you all meet up and decide to do that outfit together? Well, uh, Andy and I kind of started out about the same time in Atlanta. So uh, when we were both starting, um, as most comics do, I mean, we were literally out doing shows every night of the week. Uh, I think there was those first couple of years where um, literally six, seven nights a week we were out doing shows. And back then the Atlanta scene wasn't nearly as robust as it is now. So if you were out every night grinding, uh, odds are you were going to run into the same little core of uh, friends and comics that you would see, you know, almost on a nightly basis. So Andy and I became good buddies uh, doing that. And then at the same time, Joe Zimmerman was based out of, uh, I think at the time was based out of Charlotte. And uh, he, you know, being such close proximity to Atlanta, I think three and a half, four hours away, um, Joe was often passing through Atlanta to do shows. Uh, It seemed like there for a while, a lot of people at the time and still to this day thought, Joe Z, oh, they thought of him as an Atlanta comedian, and uh, because he was just coming through so often, so we got to know Joe. Yeah, um, I thought he was too. Actually, I thought uh, yeah, he was for a long time. A lot time. of people think that. 
Yeah, yeah never, and then I found out he was living in, in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. I think he um, started in Charlotte, then moved to Asheville, and then uh, a few years later moved to New York, where he still is now. Yeah. But anyway, um, just so happened one night, uh, Andy, Joe, and and myself just happened to be booked on a show together, and it was uh, the three of us and then uh, one other uh, old buddy. And um, after the show, and at the time, that was kind of the first time, you know, when you first start, you don't really have a say in who you're doing shows with. You just, right. if you're lucky enough to get booked on a booked show, anything other than an open mic, you're just like, oh, this is great, you know. And it just so happened the three of us were on the same show together. And after the show, Joe jokingly said, at the time, Andy and I both had beards. Joe did not. But Joe jokingly said, you two guys should start a group and call it the Beards of Comedy. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, whatever, Joe, that's a terrible idea. And then like uh, 20 minutes later, he's like, hey, that thing I said, no, I, like, I, I think I, I'm serious. I think you all should do that. And you know what? Maybe I'll grow a beard and I'll be in the beards of comedy with you. And we're like, okay, Joe, whatever. And we just kind of dismissed it, just thinking it was just a dumb idea that, you know, Joe was kind of half-heartedly throwing out there. And uh, sure enough, about a month later, he was like, hey, if it's cool with you guys, I went ahead and booked us a show. <laughs> and our first show was in Atlanta at a place called Smith's Old Bar, where they now do the 1 a.m. show every Saturday night. But uh, Joe booked us uh, on a show and, and labeled it uh, the Beards of Comedy. And then we had a fourth buddy that was going to do it, an old friend named Billy Anderson, uh, who now, I believe, lives in Ireland. Oh, wow. And um, like uh, one or two days before the show, something happened and Billy couldn't make it. So Joe uh, contacted uh, our mutual friend, T.J. Young, who at the time was living in Georgia, which is about an hour east of Atlanta. And uh, we, all, we, just, we thought it was just going to be like a one-off thing. Like, oh, it was just a weird random show Joe put together. Mm-hmm. And um, next thing we knew, we were doing tours. We were booked all over the country. I mean, not at big, great clubs or venues or anything, but just we all kind of shared that spirit of like let's just get out there and do it and the whole point of it really at the time um we were all you know, i don't even know if all of us like maybe and joe maybe were we're just barely starting to feature so it's you know it's, it's hard to get work in certain places if you're not even quite a feature so the point of it was to um just collectively achieve what we probably couldn't have achieved individually at the time um mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, and that also kind of started the whole amongst ourselves. I'm not saying we started this movement, but amongst ourselves, it started our uh, DIY movement as far as um, just booking ourselves in bars and rock clubs and non-traditional venues where at the time, you know, comedy clubs were like, what, what are you talking about? None of you guys can headline. What do you mean it's a foursome? So it just made more sense to just do the DIY route and just book ourselves in random bars and, and, and music venues. So that, um, yeah. <laughs> Long, long story long. That's uh, how the uh, beards of comedy came to be. Oh wow! So if somebody listening who is starting out, if they want to have a, a group, they just unbeknownst to other comics should book a show <laughs> like Joe did. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We really thought it was just a, a one-off thing, and uh, I think when it was all said and done, we we logged about five years together as the beards of comedy and. Uh, our last show was in 2012, and um, you know there was no beef or fallout or anything. It just it had, it had run its course. It yeah, had and you all were moving served, to different served places. Served its purpose. Right? Yeah, yeah. We had already all moved. They all moved to New York. All three of them, probably within the same six or eight months 
span of time. And uh, during that time, I moved to Los Angeles, and mm-hmm. it just, you know, logistically, it was hard to keep it going. And and it just it served its purpose. Uh, a few of us were starting to headline on our own, so it was like, yeah, it just doesn't really make sense to keep this thing going, especially, you know, what's the old the old saying? It's better to to burn out than fade away. Or I don't oh, know, yeah, yeah, goes. I could I don't see know. That. So we didn't want it to just keep being a thing that people were like, oh, they're still doing that. So we just thought, hey, let's, we had a good run. We achieved what we wanted to achieve, and uh, we'll remain friends. But let's uh, this little project to rest and move forward. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I appreciate and respect that. In regards to putting together your own tour, a DIY tour, mm-hmm. what sort mm-hmm. of tips do you have for how somebody can start doing that effectively? Well, the first step is to comedically be ready to tour. Meaning, you know, you could go the route that I just explained, obviously, you know, as a collective, you know, if you, if you don't have an hour, if you're not ready to headline on your own, you know, that's a route you can take. But mm-hmm. I have noticed, and you know, I know it's all done with the the best of intentions, but I have noticed a lot of younger comics are, are wanting to quote unquote tour when they barely have 15 minutes. Right. And so it's like, so you're going on, a, you're going on a tour and but you, you you can't really fill an hour like so how does that work so and, and not even from a collective point of view i i know a, i've just seen a lot of exactly. comics just going out by themselves like hey i'm going on tour and it's like well, what does that mean like are you gonna be doing are you gonna headline you're gonna do an hour every night and i don't know oh yeah <laughs> i get 15 minutes but i'm going on tour so my point is the first step is just be ready to tour you know be ready you know and i get that desire as a young comic to to want to get out there and put yourself out there and put your act out there. But like, and I tell, you know, I'm kind of straying from your question, but I, I also used to tell younger comics, you know, as far as like putting too much emphasis on advertising yourself, as far as promotion, you know, I got a website, I got business cards, I got merch. Well, don't worry about what good is advertising your product. If your product's not very good yet. So don't worry about any of that until you're, ready to go out and, and hammer out a solid hour every night on your own. So that would be the first step. And then let's, assuming that you are at that level, that you, you do, you're ready to headline, you're ready to put on your own shows, then it's just trial and error. Um, mm-hmm. the whole, my whole thing with the DIY thing, for people who don't know, do it yourself. You may have just said that. Um, but for me, the DIY spirit is, is going against the grain and doing your own thing and not being, not sitting around waiting for a comedy club to throw you a bone. Right. And I don't have anything. I don't well, anything's a strong word. I don't have too much against comedy clubs, <laughs> but uh, I definitely came up in, in some of the comedy club circuits, uh, especially in the Southwest, Southeast and the Midwest. But a lot of times they don't have the best interest of the comedians in mind and they don't have the best interest of comedy in general in mind. Uh, comedy club is like any other business, you know, they're, they're there to turn a profit and sometimes booking, a uh, an unknown up and coming comic, no matter how good he may be, doesn't, doesn't benefit them if that person's not going to sell tickets. So they're more right. concerned with booking the established names, the safe names that they know that people are going to come out and, and buy a ticket for. And a lot of times a young hungry feature or, you know, soon to be headliner, you know, with no credits. That, that he doesn't fit into that category. So right. with me, the DIY thing always just meant, you know, hey, all right, XYZ club in this town, you're not going to return my email, you don't want to book me? All right, I'll, I'll I'll go book my own show in your town. And granted, 11 people may show up, 
and that's how it, uh, and that is what happened when I first started touring. But my whole uh, mindset was, you know, long term. Uh, I tried, looked at it the way bands used to tour and some of them still tour as far as we're going to hit this one city, this one market two or three times a year. And every time I'm there, hopefully my set or my act will get a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And 10 people showed up this time, but in six months when I come back, maybe 20 people will show up. And then next year when I come back, maybe 40 people will show up and you just keep doing that over and over and over. And one day you wake up and you're selling 200 tickets in a small rock venue in a cool in a cool town. So that's yeah. kind of been my approach as far as just long term. You know, I don't even like the word fan base. I, I think fans yeah, it's kind of weird. Yeah, fan I'd... gets thrown around too much when again you got 15 minutes, but you, but yet you have fans. Okay, that's right? Great. Yeah, but ultimately that is the goal. So you know, once you get to that point where it is time to start focusing on trying to build a following or a fan base to me that's how the it's done the diy way as far as just keep hitting these same markets and hopefully the people who came were were entertained and they enjoyed themselves and they'll tell their friends and the next time you come more people will show up and then so on and so on so that was the whole diy spirit as far as how i tried to apply it yeah and you make a really good point about being ready for it too. The 15 minutes yeah. is not enough time to start doing tours. I would say at least a solid, like a real solid 30 minutes. A lot of people say they have 30 minutes and they truthfully have 10 to 15, mm-hmm. but I mean like a real 30 minutes that you can put up on mm-hmm. stage. I think a lot of people well, don't yeah. necessarily know what that is though. What What is that difference between you have 30 minutes of jokes that you can tell on stage versus you have 30 real minutes of material. Yeah. Well, and 30 just being going back to the comedy club approach, uh, 30 is, is for people who don't know that if you're doing 30 minutes, you're a feature in a traditional three act comedy show that comedy clubs have adhered to for many years. Um, you got your MC or your, or your host. Those are kind of, uh, interchangeable terms who will come out and do 10, 15 minutes to warm up the crowd. Then you've got your feature or your middle who will come out and do 25 or 30. And then you've got your headliner who's going to come out and do 45 to an hour. So that's the setup in, in a comedy club. So if you're, if you're getting booked in comedy clubs, you can do so as a feature. And, you know, to kind of contradict my point, <clears throat> I don't have a problem with features going out and touring as features. You know, hey, I booked all these dates at all these clubs, or even if it's DIY, I'm going with my buddy who's the headliner and I'm the feature. I got no problem with that. My point was you barely got 15, 20 minutes, but yet you yourself are going on your own tour. And it all comes down to you have to think about the product that you're putting out there, especially if if you're selling tickets, you know, meaning it's not a free show. All right, you're going on a tour. You barely got 15, 20 minutes. You're gonna. You're trying to sell a five dollar, seven dollar, ten dollar ticket. You're ask, you're asking people to come out and watch your show. Well, what is your show? I'm paying seven bucks to come watch some guy who's been doing comedy a year to go watch him do fifteen minutes. Well, that's not a show. Fifteen minutes isn't a show. Uh, Ninety minutes, a hundred minutes, two hours. That's a show. Um, so as far as being ready to tour as a headliner or your own tour or your own show. 
you know, even 30 is not enough. Right. I was meaning more in the sense of what you all were doing where you had four people. Mm -hmm. So if if you have you and three buddies who can do real 30 minutes, then you can actually do Mm -hmm. a, a touring show together. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And and that, of course, I have no problem with, obviously, because that's what we did. But as far as to answer your question, 30 minutes of jokes as opposed, you know, there's an old saying that I um, that hit me close to home when I first started. Just because you can do 30 doesn't mean you should do 30. <laughs> you know, meaning just because you technically have 30 minutes worth of jokes doesn't mean, okay, so what? You can do 30. Why should I pay money to come watch that? Mm-hmm. So, and, and, you know, not to get too deep because it is kind of a philosophical thing as far as what constitutes a performance, what constitutes a good show. But yeah, it's definitely more than just 30 minutes of jokes, or if you're headlining, you know, 45 minutes of jokes, you want to, you know, think of it as like a movie or a television show, you know, just because there was stuff on the screen for 90 minutes doesn't make it a good movie. It has to have a beginning, a middle, an end, a narrative, conflict, resolution, you know, for it to be a good movie or a good story. There's so much more than just the time factor involved. And I feel like the same way with with a headlining comedy show. You know, it's like you want to give them a show, not just, hey, I I stood up there and yammered about for 45 minutes. Now pay me. No. Right. You know, so there's definitely... It goes so much deeper than just the amount of time that you're doing, although that is kind of the minimum requirement. You know, you, to, to do a, a show, you got to at least have the time, but then there has to be more to it than that as far as is that set, does it flow? Is it something that people would want to watch? And I'm not even saying, you know, stylistically, you can, you know, there's uh, dozens of different styles that could could do that i'm not saying you've got to be some storyteller or there's got to be some one-man show running theme to the whole thing i mean yeah a lot of one-liner comics can go out and crush for an hour and, and that's great but regardless of your style you just gotta you gotta make sure that you're putting on a good show you're providing value for their entertainment dollar and if you're just up there doing crowd work for you know 45 minutes and a bunch of half-assed premises and unthought out ideas and that's not really a lot of value for their entertainment dollar you know right right when it comes to touring you mentioned uh doing non uh, comedy venues doing a lot of rock show mm-hmm. venues i've heard comic uh, not comics but uh i've heard rock stars say you have to learn how to sleep on the road and how to eat when you're on the road. What are those sort of tips that people are giving about touring and how you can really make the most out of it and have the right energy? Yeah, I mean, it's logistically, it's a whole different uh, animal, too. I mean, touring, just because you got the time and the time is good and just because you've booked the date, you know, then you've got the day-to-day logistics of touring. And I'll only speak from my experience, but like when I first started touring, I was just so excited to actually be doing a tour. I used to say every day I'm out here telling jokes is a day that I'm not flipping a hamburger or not riding a lawnmower, you know, Mm -hmm. meaning, you know, any day I'm on the road is a day I'm not having to deal with or worry about a day job. So that in and of itself is a, is a nice little achievement and definitely is something to be excited about. But then you got to remember too, it's still kind of a job. You can't necessarily treat it like vacation. I feel like that's a, 
that's the old rock and roll cliche of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Like, yeah, it's fun. It's, you know, being a rock star or being a comic is a great gig and it's fun, but you got to remember, you can't just, you can't just go balls to the wall every night because eventually you're going to burn yourself out. So there's definitely a challenge of getting enough rest, you know, making sure that you're routing the tour properly to where you're not having to drive nine, 10 hours a day. You know, you want to, map it out to where you're in this town on Monday night and two hours later you're in that town Tuesday night and three hours later, as opposed to just zigzagging all over the map. And then you're just spending, you know, most of your day just driving to the gig. Um, so yeah, proper routing is important and proper routing means that there's time for rest and proper sleep. And then, you know, you gotta me personally, you know, I'm, I'm a bigger dude. I've always struggled with weight issues and, and trying to maintain a, a decent level of fitness. So, you know, on the road, it's so difficult to do that because you're, you're not cooking for yourself most of the time. Right. You're usually eating fast food or waffle house. And so it's just, it's definitely a challenge. And, uh, at first it could just seem like, you know, every day is a vacation, but after a while you got to realize like, Oh man, I got to make sure that I maintain my health. I maintain my sanity. And ultimately all that leads to what I started with is that leads to you putting on a, a good product, putting on a good show. So, um, mm-hmm. as far as tips, man, just a lot of sandwiches, get you a good cooler and, and just, you know, try to cut down on those food costs as much as possible. And then also, you know, especially with the DIY thing, when you're doing clubs, most decent clubs will put up the headliner in the feature. You know, you, there's, they'll provide a hotel or they might have a comedy condo. So, at most decent clubs, you're not having to worry about the expenses of your lodging. But with DIY shows, it's almost the exact opposite. Rarely is a hotel or a condo provided for you when you're just booking these DIY tours. So then it's like, well, do I spend, you know, most of my earnings on, an ho- on a hotel or do I try to hook up with a buddy or a comic at a different city and crash on his couch? And most of the time when you're starting, you know, if you're making – 7,500 bucks a night, you know, you can't spend 65, 70 bucks a night on a hotel. Then you got gas and then you got food. And then before you know it, you know, you're way in the hole. So, uh, definitely getting comfortable sleeping on people's couches is something you have to to get used to, you know, starting out on these DIY tours. And that's so easy to do now with all the different websites, like the couch, the couch surfing websites Mm -hmm. and things like that. can easily uh, do that on a tour these days oh yeah and just networking in general um more and more comics are starting to do this type of touring and more and more cities are are sprouting scenes you know uh, just because you don't have to be a huge chicago or san francisco or atlanta to have a good comedy scene these days so there's tons of these mid-level scenes and smaller scenes where you know, once these guys get out here or gals and start touring, you start meeting comics from other cities. And, um, yeah, then it's just a word of mouth network. Like, Oh, so-and-so is rolling through my city. You know, Hey guys, Hey local guys, which one of us can put this guy up for a night or two and help him out and give him a couch and a shower, you know? So, um, I've definitely benefited greatly from that, just from sheer networking as far as meeting new people. And most of them are just very, um, generous with you know hey man if you're ever back in town and you need a place to crash here's my number and right. like oh that's that's you, you just can't uh understand the value of that so that's that's right. huge right you saved a lot by 
touring in your van at one point. Weren't you? You were living yeah. out of your van for a couple of years, right? Yeah, I lived in my van for uh, just shy of two and a half years, uh, and those were the first two and a half years that I lived in L.A. Um, when I when I left Atlanta, and I I had wanted to, I moved away from Atlanta in um, January of 2012, and um, I had been wanting to move to L.A. about a year prior to that, but I just couldn't save up the you know a cross country move is. You know, that's a, that's a big expenditure, you know, you yeah. gotta save up a, a certain amount of money to, for, you know, apartments and deposits and moving expenses and getting settled in in a new city and maybe not having a job for a month or two. So I never could just quite reach that financial goal of like, this is the amount of money I need to move to LA. So, and I was getting frustrated because it was taking, you know, two months turned into six months, turned into 12 months and I still hadn't made the move. And uh, one day a light bulb just went off. It's like, man, I'm on the road so much anyway. How about I just get a van, convert it into a little living space, a little mobile apartment, and I'll live in that thing. So, right. And honestly, that idea was like, all right, I'll do that for six or nine months until I can get myself established and get on my feet. And, you know, such is life. You know, that turned into two and a half years. But, you know, I, I it, it really was kind of a whatever it takes mentality. And, um, not for everyone. It wasn't necessarily for me. Like <laughs> I, you know, and I, I don't, I don't ever like to, uh, pour mouth about it too much because it was a self-induced hardship. You know, <laughs> I know there are a lot of people out there having to live in vans and their cars because of one reason or the other. But, um, the, the thing I chose to do, so I tried to keep a, a positive attitude about it, but yeah, after a while it does grind you down to where you're mm -hmm. like, geez, you know, I just the psychological, you know, thing of like ah man i technically don't have a home and uh yeah. so so after a while that 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 kind of got to me but um i don't regret it it served its purpose uh yeah. and it definitely allowed me to uh pursue this you know in a full-time capacity without having to worry about you know working a part-time job to pay rent and to pay bills and things like that so my whole my whole theory was well, all right. Well, Dave, if you're going to do this full time, understand that for for a while you're not going to make a lot of money. So let's reverse engineer this and and get rid of as many expenses as possible. And uh, and in that I and, and in that approach, it was refreshing to be that minimalist. You know, there was a time where I literally had had a cell phone bill, I had car insurance. And I had a gym membership, you know, fee, and that was about it. Right. I mean, the van was paid for, didn't have a car payment, didn't have rent, you know, didn't have cable, didn't have all the utility bills, didn't, you know. So, in a, in a, to me, the trade-off was worth it. Like, all right, A, this is letting me pursue my dreams, and B, it's as rough of these, as rough as these living conditions are, it is kind of nice to have three little bills every month as opposed to, you know, oh, yeah. the plate full of bills that most people deal with. Absolutely. And uh, it also shows yourself. I think one of the things that it can show you is that you were willing to do whatever it takes to pursue your goals. And I, I think that's something yeah. that's pretty commendable. Well, yeah, I mean, it could be commendable or it could be, you know, <laughs> You know what else? What else was I gonna do? You know, I don't want to pat myself on the back or be too self righteous about it. But I mean, yeah, you could look at it that way. But 
in reality, it was just like, well, there's no plan B. I made up my mind that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. So do it by any means necessary. Yeah. So, Good for you. I imagine yeah. you got a lot of material out of it, too. Oh, yeah. You definitely got got a ton of material out of it. And uh, even now, like I'm, you know, I did a big chunk of it on, on my album. But uh, now I have the perspective of looking back on it and seeing things that maybe I didn't see in the moment when I was living in the van, mm. um, just a different perspective. So I'm still, still writing jokes about those two and a half years. How do you develop your material? Well, traditionally, this is something I was just talking to, uh, with a buddy the other day. Um, when I was in Atlanta, you develop material by just literally getting on stage every night. Uh, you live your life every day and then report on it every night. And um, so that was my approach in Atlanta. Well, L.A. is a little bit different in the sense that it's an industry town. There's always mm-hmm. eyes on you. So, I mean, yes, there's an open mic scene here. And uh, a lot of times I will try to work out new material at an open mic. But even that sometimes is counterproductive in the sense that a lot of the open mics here, there's zero real audience. You know, right. there might be, you're lucky if there's nine or ten warm bodies in the back of the room listening to your jokes, and those nine or ten people are comedians. Right. And half of those comedians are standing there with their arms crossed because they're pissed because they didn't get on said show, so they're not going to laugh at you. Point being, you get, at an open mic where there's only comedians in the audience, it's hard to get a good gauge. Uh, how your material is doing. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, nobody laughed at that, but is that because it wasn't funny and not a very good premise, or was it because it was nine comedians who weren't even really paying attention or right. gave a shit? So in that aspect, L.A. is, is a little more difficult to develop material um, because <clears throat> for whatever reason, we didn't really have that problem in Atlanta. Even the open mics, a lot of them, you just because there were fewer shows to choose from, uh, it wasn't as saturated, so you had real audiences at most every show, mm-hmm. whereas in L.A., there's I mean, literally, I'm not exaggerating. On any given night in Los Angeles, there's probably, if you if you take into account the open mics and the what we call the alt shows, mm-hmm. kind of the DIY version, you know, the non-touring version of the of the DIY stuff, you know, mm-hmm. coffee shop shows, bar shows, rock club shows. If you take into account the mics, the alt shows, and all the club shows, on any given night in Los Angeles, there might be sixty shows to choose from. So even though Los Angeles is a huge city, that's still a lot of shows uh, spread out amongst the population here. And uh, uh, so a lot of those shows are going to have no real audience other than comedians. So, (laughs) um, so it is just, it's just hard to to develop stuff. So the way I do it now, um, the road is kind of my, uh, the reason I tour so much now, it, that's just where I develop my material. And that kind of goes against an old comedy adage of you don't do new stuff or unproven stuff in front of a paying audience. And right. I do get that. Yeah. Um, it, but I feel like that's a little more relevant to like a big comedy club show. You know, if mm-hmm. you're playing a big comedy club, it's Friday night, there's two shows, they're both sold out, there's 300 people in the audience. Don't go up there and try out some new shit. Yeah. You know, these people paid 20 bucks to ticket, even if you're the MC or the feature. Yeah, they didn't pay 20 bucks to see me because I'm the feature or whatever at the time. But still, this, these people paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, bring your A game. You got to bring your proven material, your A 
game or your showcase set, whatever you want to call it. Right. I feel like I can kind of bend that rule a little bit on some of these DIY tours. You know, if I'm if I'm playing a basement of a bar in Denver, mm-hmm. you know, and people paid five bucks to be there. I mean, yes, I want to still put on the best show I can possibly put on, but there's not quite that pressure of, you know, $20 tickets, date night, two drink minimum, you know, okay, I got a really 100% a material tonight. Whereas, you know, my DIY tours, you know, I can kind of experiment a little bit. And the way I do that too, is when I, when I do my tours and I headline, I'll do between 50 and 60 minutes every night. So, you know, maybe the first 20 minutes is, is polished, proven stuff. And then the last 10 minutes might be polished, proven stuff. And then that gives me, you know, 20, 30 minutes in the middle there to kind of experiment and throw in some new stuff and work it, work it out, verbalize some new ideas. So for me, with, that's kind of how I do it is, is I use touring as a means to develop material. And with a comic of your caliber, the experimental aspects of a show are really fun. I've been in several shows where the headliner mm-hmm. was doing what you're describing, and it was fun for everyone. We all enjoy oh, that because yeah. it's like, oh, okay, oh, they're using us to test this. Oh, okay, cool. Like, that's neat. Yeah, and part of that is because it's non-traditional venues, the expectations are different. That's right. the main point with that. Like, when you go to a comedy club, there the expectations are already set. You know, mm-hmm. we're... You know, we know how the kind of the format of the show, we know kind of what to expect. But with non-traditional venues, a lot of times you'll have, I'll have people who come see me at some bar or rock venue who may have never been to a comedy show. They may have never been to a comedy club or some sort of theater show or traditional comedy show. So that can be good and bad, but the good part of it is that the expectations are completely different. You know, they don't know that you know, that it's weird that I might just be doing some really loose half-assed premise that I just wrote that morning, you know, and maybe it doesn't have, you know, subconsciously they might notice that there's not the huge punchlines and the huge laughs at some of the other jokes, but they're like, ah, I I got nothing to compare it to. I got no point of reference. This is just a cool bar that I hang out at sometimes. And I saw this dude's poster and I said, eh, I'll come check this shit out. (laughs) So, uh, you can definitely benefit from the, from the lack of expectations at a non-traditional or DIY venue. Right. Right. That's, uh, and it's also, I imagine fun for you as well when you oh, get yeah. to experiment with some stuff and it gets a good response and you have a good time with it. That's, is that as fulfilling as having to do, uh, when you have to do all your killer stuff at a, at a traditional venue and it kills, like, is that, What's the comparison on from a performer's standpoint? More fulfilling. Um, oh, on wow. paper, it looks great. On paper, it looks great. Like, for example, I go out. <clears throat> um, I've been lucky enough in this past year, not to not to do a little humble brag, but um, I get to open for Craig Ferguson quite a bit. Oh, cool. Uh, and Craig Ferguson, formerly of the Late Late Show, right. uh, of course, at at the caliber and the, the level now where he plays theaters. I go out and <laughs> tour with Craig as his opener. I'll go out and do twenty minutes sometimes literally in front of three or 4,000 people, three or 4,000 people that may have paid, I don't know what his ticket price is, but it's gotta be, you know, when you see a theater comic, you're not, right, it's not, you're not $10. Seeing, yeah. You're not seeing Brian Regan in a theater for 12 bucks. You right. know, that's a 35, 45, $60 ticket, whatever it may be. So my point is, uh, and again, not to humble brag, but on a lot of those shows, I'll go out and just crush 
for 20 minutes in front of 3000 people. And that's a great feeling. That's a, that's a high, that's a, um, a sense of euphoria that most people never get to experience to go up in front of a room full of 3000 people and just make them laugh. And as, as great as that is, as fun as that is, it's still sometimes not as fulfilling because, and I, I definitely don't think I ever phone it in, but like, yeah, if I'm touring with Craig, I'm doing 20 of the same minutes. Now, I don't just do the same 20 minutes every night, you know, as a headliner, right. I'm fortunate that I have, you know, 60, 80, whatever minutes of stuff to choose from. But my point is, whatever 20 minutes I'm doing in front of Craig's audience, it's a proven, polished, road-tested 20 minutes. Right. And so I don't have that fulfillment of, like, trying something new that I wasn't sure was going to work or putting a new twist on this thing or just completely ad-libbing or riffing something. And uh, so... When you when I do that in my shows, my little rinky-dink DIY shows, sometimes that is even more fulfilling than crushing in front of three thousand people, because yeah. that's that that's the root of comedy. That's the root of the art form of is you know going up and experimenting and taking this dumb little idea that I had the other day and wrote down in my notepad and turning it into it over time, turning it into a full-fledged polished bit that that evolution of a bit to me, the process of that and witnessing that and experiencing that sometimes is definitely more fulfilling than just going out and quote unquote, going through the motions and crushing. How does someone who has achieved the level of being able to tour and, and go out and have solid material, if they move to a big city, how do they get on the good shows so that they're not just playing for half a room of comics and the other half is empty seats or uh, getting in a position like yours where you're opening for people like Craig Ferguson. How does that happen? Time. Um, I think that's the biggest challenge that comics face when they move to a different city or a bigger city is they go in. All right. For example, when I moved to LA and again, I apologize if a lot of this sounds like humble bragging, but Mm -hmm. in Atlanta, by the time I left Atlanta, I was, one of the more whatever whatever word you want to throw on it established or respected or pile whatever but i was one of the more notable guys in our scene mm-hmm. i was a, a bigger fish not the biggest fish but i was a bigger fish in a smallish pond mm-hmm. and while that is definitely good for your ego for a little bit um uh, eventually it doesn't do anything for your creativity or your, or your growth as a comedian. So yeah, right. it's fun to be the big fish in the small pond, but what all comics have to understand is when they make that transition and then now they move and now I'm a small fish in a big pond, you just got to live with that. You got to accept it just mm-hmm. because it's what I, and it's kind of, you know, tough love, but I tell younger comics who moved to LA cause the same thing was told to me. Uh, yeah, nobody gives a shit where you're from and nobody gives a shit who you were where you're from, you know, in LA and New York, nobody cared. Okay. So you were the biggest guy in Atlanta. Who gives a shit? You were the biggest guy in Asheville. Nobody cares. Guess what? You're in LA now. So it's just time. You got to kind of get back in line, you know, whereas, you know, where you came from, you might've been towards the front of the line. Now you got to get in the back line because in LA and New York, everybody is, is, was somebody from where they came or most, you know, I'm not saying there's, there's not a vetting process. Anybody can move to New York or LA. And that's right. a whole nother topic that maybe we'll discuss later or some other day, but like, uh, but my point is 
it just takes time. You got to reestablish yourself. You know, yeah, you can't expect that your rep, your reputation to follow you. And Absolutely. sometimes it does. Sometimes yeah. guys or gals have they get some buzz or notoriety from their hometown scene, you know, whether it be like so-and-so coming out of got Conan while he was still in Portland or so-and-so got, you know, a half hour while he was still in Cleveland. Like that helps when you make that transition to New York or LA, mm-hmm. it helps that you've got that. But most of the time that doesn't happen. Most people get stuff by being in New York or LA. So point being, you don't, you don't have a reputation following you out to LA because who are you? You're like any, when I moved to LA, nobody knew who the hell I was in LA, you know, unless they just came from Atlanta or they just happened to see some of the little tours that me and the beards did or whatever. So the point being, you just got to accept the fact that you're getting back in line and it doesn't mean you got to get at the very back of the line, but you are definitely back in the line and not at the head of the line. Right. And to overcome that, it's just, you have to do what you did at the beginning of your career. Go out every night, you know, go out every night. Uh, that's the other thing too. You got to learn to a lot of comics fall into the habits of, well, I'm only at shows that I'm on. Well, I get that. I get the logistics of that. Like I don't have time to just go to shows every night that I'm not on. But when you're trying to reestablish yourself or establish yourself in a new scene like New York or LA, it's very important to be out every night. And I tell people this, you know, you can't get up every night, but you can go out every night, you know, depending on what your personal situation is. I know some people have full-time jobs and families or whatever, but point is, you know, just because you can't book a spot every night doesn't mean that you can't be out watching, meeting people, learning, just showing your face, getting established. Like, Oh, that's the guy who seems pretty cool. Who I've made small talk with a half a dozen times now. And mm-hmm. the seventh time that they meet that guy, Oh, I finally got to see him do a set. Oh, okay. I already knew he was kind of a cool guy or a decent dude. And now I realize that he's a pretty good comic. So that's, it's those little bitty baby steps that you kind of have to uh, re reteach yourself when you're in a new scene. So, uh, and then over time, it just then it's, you're just rebuilding your reputation. You know, word gets out that not only is that guy a decent dude, but he's a pretty good comic and he's dependable. And and part of that, the actual nuts and bolts of that, and me and my buddy Andy Sanford talk about this all the time. Um, building your reputation is very important, and I don't mean mm-hmm. what are your credits or who do you know. Your comedic reputation, in the sense that um, you never, you always bring it. You always give 100%. And, and, you know, granted, we can't control. Sometimes you bring it like a son of a bitch and you still bomb. You know, just some of those nights. But my point is you you never concede to bombing. You never like, nah, there's still, you've seen this. You go to a show and there is nine people in the crowd. Mm -hmm. And then the MC MC brings up the next comic and he just stands there with his arms crossed and just with this this lackadaisical posture of like, nah. So thanks for showing up. There's only nine of you. Yeah. This show is going to suck. It's such yeah, an insult to suck. the people who are there. Exactly. What about, yeah, it's not their fault that no one else is here. These people are here, so I'm going to give them the best performance I can possibly get. And I also get the fact you can't just go full bore into your normal theater 3,000 feet set in front of nine people because right. then that does seem awkward. Like, why is this guy just is it putting it on autopilot and screaming at us? It can be. It can be unnatural and uncomfortable, but there's still a way to bring it, even in front of nine people, to where it's not awkward. And I my point that goes that back out to yet. you. 
it's and I have hard. plenty it of opportunity tricky. to perform in front of nine people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I don't know how thing. to have that pace of just like staying mm-hmm. on it. But, you know, like you said, not being overpowering, but I feel mm. like I often don't turn it up enough. It's still too low. Yeah. I mean, and that's just experience. That comes with time. That's just why you get up every night in any environment, you know, good shows, bad shows, whatever. But going back to my point is by being a comic who always brings it, even if it doesn't work, um, you just get a reputation. Oh, if I book Dave on my show, I know he's not going to get up there. You know, if it is a sparsely attended show this night, I know he's not going to get up there and shit on the show and shit on the audience and act like he doesn't give a shit. You know, like if I book this Dave guy, I know that he's no matter what, he's going to he's going to his 10 minutes is going to be pretty damn good. And that's how you do that night after night. And that's just how you start to develop a reputation, because then local bookers are going to want you on their show. Right. You know, A, he's funny. B, he's got the right attitude. And see, he's easy to work with. That's the other thing, too. Yeah. Man, be easy to work with. Don't be, I got to go first. I got to go last. I can't follow this guy. I can't follow that lady. No. I take pride. And when the when the local booker, the host, comes over with this pen and paper and wants to know, you know, do, do I need to go first? I, I don't give a shit. This is your show. Wherever you need me, dude. I'll go yeah. first. I'll go last. I'll follow anybody. Be easy to work with. Be low maintenance. And that, I mean, I think that, applies to any aspect of life you know whether Absolutely. it be show business or business business or relationships or whatever just be be easy to work with yeah whatever whatever you need me to do i'll do it and all those little things uh, over time um that they just add up to establishing your uh, reputation and then that's just how you kind of get established in a new scene uh that coupled with being a decent comic you know always mm-hmm. you know bringing it not just bringing it but like the other thing too, you don't want to be like, well, he's got the same. Every time we see him, he does the same five minutes. You don't want to be that guy either. So right. it's all these little factors that add up to, you know, establishing yourself in a new scene. Man, that was a long ass answer. That was a great answer, though. I've heard <laughs> so many, I've heard so many professionals say, whether it's comic professionals or people in media or just whatever, I've heard so many professionals say, be easy to work with. You know, especially who's going to want to tour with somebody who's not easy to be around. Yeah. Yeah, Who's going to want to spend a couple of hours with someone like that. Mm -hmm. Well, you look at it this way too. We'll put it in the context of show business and Hollywood. Okay. I don't do a lot of acting or auditioning, but I do a little bit here and there. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's use this example. All right. Uh, There's a big part, a big movie role, TV role, whatever. And it's down to it's down to two people. They got Bob and they got Mike. And then there's only one role, and these are the final two guys. And all things being equal, they have the same amount of talent. They got the same look. They got the same vibe. They got the same representatives. All things being equal, who do we give it to? Which one of these guys is easiest to work with? Mike has a reputation for being a prima donna and a diva and a bit of an asshole. And Bob is equally as talented as Mike, but yet Bob is just a easygoing dude who just says, yeah, man, whatever you need. He's not, he doesn't have an attitude. He doesn't have, he's not a diva. So of course they're going to give it to Bob. Yeah. And I, you know, so all things being equal, the guy who's going to get the job is the one who's easiest to deal with or, or whatever is the most likable, the most pleasant, whatever. So yeah. why not just be easy to work with? I couldn't agree more. Well, we're here at the end of the episode and 
I'd like to do something, uh, create something with the guest. Uh, we've talked a lot about touring. Maybe we could mm-hmm. put together the name of a tour, the idea of a tour or something. I, oh, I man. You have a better idea. We have we could do that, too. No, that's a great concept because I, I do that a lot. I, I mean, I just going off on a, another quick little angle, like when I tour, I like to make it an event. I like to um, name the tour. I like to have a nice tour poster. I have fortunate enough to be buddies with this incredible artist. This guy does most of my posters. This guy named Dave Clock. Mm-hmm. And just uh, he does all the posters for the Meltdown show in L.A. And when it's time, you know, to start thinking about the next tour and the next poster, or whatever, he's always said, well, what what are you going to call it? Like, what you know, give me some give me some guidance. You want a poster, Dave, but what, what, I don't know. What do you want? So I do have to spend a decent amount of time thinking about these things. And I noticed the other day that um, any of my close comedy friends will know that I'm a man who despises puns. Uh-huh, I hate okay. wordplay. I hate puns. I hate wordplay in the context of stand-up comedy. Like, I don't like your. I I know comedians personally who I think that they think the objective of comedy is just to find some wordplay, not mm-hmm. an interesting perspective, not an interesting angle or premise. But like, my whole objective is to figure out how to weave in some dipshit wordplay. <laughs> so I, I made this observation about myself the other day. The only time I don't mind puns or wordplay is when i'm naming a tour because <laughs> or an album you know you see that a lot like there might be you know an album that has a weird little twist but i don't mind that and you know because it does kind of you know that's where puns and wordplay have a little bit of value right to me they have zero zero value on a stage behind a microphone but you know <laughs> as far as an album title or a theme or a name for a tour i don't mind that so if we're going to go that route, you know, then that's when I can uh, let myself entertain the concept of, of wordplay and puns and, and stuff like that. So, so we were, and it, that's it's a hard, it's a difficult thing to do sometimes. To right. Think of uh, 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 because also there's always that same standard with any art form is like originality. You know, is this mm-hmm. is this vaguely original or is this some played out concept or premise that's been done a billion times so uh it, I, it is hard sometimes coming up with a name for a tour or a, uh, or an album so so all right so we're going to yeah, name a we... name a tour where where is this tour when is it and where is it that's always a question all right let's say myself. it's the fall okay and uh let's okay. say it's the let's say it's the pacific northwest okay pacific northwest in the fall and not that every you know not that those are the ingredients I use every time, but that right. that's a good starting point is where is it and when is it? So, all right, well, right there, fall, you got fall into blank with Dave and <laughs> right. Jason. So, I don't know, falling back, blah, 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 you know, uh, or, you know, spring forward, fall back, comedy right. tour. I don't know, but that, there's a start. All right, Pacific Northwest, I'm a huge Bigfoot fan. Okay. Pacific Northwest is always, you know, kind of the uh, the stomping grounds of the old North American Sasquatch. So if uh-huh. I were doing a tour in the Pacific Northwest, I would maybe try to come up with some Bigfoot theme or, I don't know, uh, lum- what's the Northwest known for? Bigfoot and lumberjacks yeah. and redwoods. And, and, and trails, yeah. Trails, you know, so... Oh man! See, it does take. So I don't much. know if I can come up with a good one, you know, on the spot here. But we're we're, we're getting there. Um, we're getting closer, yeah. Pacific Northwest 
fall. Let's see. What um, is, I'm trying to think of something that goes on there. I have a, a friend or two up there, and they just do trail runs all the time. So that's all I really know. Um, like literally running, like jogging on trails? or yeah, They do like marathons. Yeah, they do okay. like actual official trail runs. Okay. But, I mean, running through the woods tour with Dave Stone. <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, with time and effort, hopefully we could do something better than that. But yeah, that, that's kind of a, a dumb little sneak into my process. Well, I'm just, I'm in my apartment right now, just turning around, looking at some of my other posters. Um, all right. Well, for example, um, I did a tour uh, last spring with fellow buddies, uh, Andy Sanford and Ryan Singer. Mm-hmm. And the best we could kind of come up with was a play off the old three-headed monster. You know, oh, that, that guy's a three-headed monster. Or whatever. So we came up with a three-headed moron tour. Oh, you know, yeah. Really the, old, the, the relative, you know, components there is that there's three of us and we're, we're all kind of morons. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's one. And, you know, some of these aren't great. I, I'm looking at another poster right now. Me and Lisa Beth did a tour um, last November kind of leading up to uh thanksgiving and again this isn't a great name but it's sometimes there's just nothing up there turkey tour we did the turkey <laughs> tour because it's, it's right leading up to thanksgiving and right. the poster is just I a flatbed truck with like a monstrous gigantic turkey on the back uh-huh. um so yeah i don't know i i've done the rambling van tour as a kind of a playoff of rambling right. van right i uh I, i've done two versions of the rambling van tour i did one in 2012 and then i brought it back in 2015 dave stone's rambling van tour and so like you know that's just an example of some of the uh the themes that i try to come up with and again of course they're goofy you know right. and of course they're silly and they're some of them are punny but it's like you got to put something on a poster <laughs> you know you right. can't just say dave stone comedy tour uh, right. by the way i hate that like there's so many shows now like <sighs> Where it's just the name. It's like Dave Matthews can Band. You, well, that, but like, I'm talking about like weekly shows and certain scenes, you know. Uh, can, you, can you try a little harder than just comedy night? Hey, <laughs> every Tuesday it's comedy night. Oh, that sounds great. I don't know. Is that a hint of the level of creativity that I'm in for at comedy night? Right. And sometimes um, it's so too my, long. My point, uh, yeah. Like, you know, so, but you got to do better comedy than comedy nights of Greenville or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Beer and comedy night. Well, I like both those things, but that's the best you could come up with. Okay. Uh, I'll pay five bucks for that. <laughs> My point is, you got when you're doing a tour, you got to put something on a poster. So you do. I um, guess we could always with Pacific Northwest, we could always do uh, uh, put a picture of Kim Kardashian and Kanye's baby Northwest. Ah, uh, uh, there you go. Pacific, yeah. <laughs> and then a picture of her tour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, just that baby floating in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, there it is. I hope uh, you don't mind. I've already, I've already booked a show for us out there. Yeah, go ahead and print those posters <laughs> I just, up. I just went ahead and booked it while we were talking, and I'll see you there. Took the Joe Zimmer. Yeah, method. man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm. Oh, we're doing a thing now. Okay. Oh man. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, Jason, thanks for having me, buddy. And uh, I, I love the nuts and bolts of, of comedy. You really uh, you picked a topic that I could talk for days on. <laughs> thanks so much. All right, buddy. Take care. Solid Times with Dave Stone. Hey, that could be the name of one of his tours. Solid Times with Dave Stone. I like it. I'd go see that. He is a good comic and a good guy. I enjoyed that talk. 
I think what I liked the most was him just calling stuff that he's seeing out. This is a guy who's been working. He's a good opinion to listen to and take in. And if he's saying, I'm seeing comics do this and it's not a good idea, he's probably right. That's just sound advice. If you want to go see him perform, go to his website, DaveStoneStandup.com, and you can find out when he's performing next. That address could not be easier to remember, DaveStoneStandup.com. You can also get merch like his comedy albums on his site, too, so do it up. Follow him on Twitter, DaveStoneComedy, and like him on Facebook at DaveStoneStandup. For more on what we're doing here at There It Is, why don't you go to thereitispod.com. There you can get more episodes and join the discussion in the blogs. If you are already hooked on the podcast, then you just might have their-itis. Listen, guys, there is no cure for their-itis, but you can treat the symptoms with more There It Is. Support the podcast so we can keep making episodes. You can do that at thereitispod.com. May you all have their-itis. There it is, another episode of There It Is. Next week's episode is a unique one. It's a panel discussion the theater director of the improv company I'm a part of did this past June with people from the comedy scene here in beautiful Greenville, South Carolina. Come back next week for that. Until next time, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. 